0: And my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it.
1: We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal. You know that. Fire! Just like last but time. states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board
0: is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its twenty electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race.
1: Joseph, Philly girl. Well, I'm a screen guy. oh Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania
0: On our final episode in the Philadelphia suburbs, we're in for a real treat. In 2018, Jen O'Mara was elected to the state House before she even turned 30. And her 2020 reelection was one of the closest margins in all of Pennsylvania. Uh, she knows adversity and she knows challenges. She lost her dad when she was 13, and she worked three jobs to help her mom, a school bus driver. Uh, she not only was the first in her family to graduate from college, but she went on and got a master's from UPenn. So, just in her second term, her peers elected her as chairwoman of the Southeast delegation in the State House. She's a got a very, very unique perspective on the landscape for 2022, and uh, all sorts of reflections and anecdotes and memories from the last four years. But before Jen joins us, I just want to take a moment to thank you. In less than two months. This podcast has crossed over 1,500 listeners, not only from across Pennsylvania and every corner of Pennsylvania, but in Europe and Australia and certainly across our great country. State Representative Jennifer O'Mara, welcome to my kitchen table.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I remember, this seems like quite a while ago, meeting you in December 2017, when the Commonwealth, Mm -hmm. and the political landscape was a very different place than it is now. And we were chatting about both getting master's degrees from UPenn. Mm -hmm. And this idea that you were flirting with, as I recall, you hadn't officially jumped into uh, a race. But if you could share with our listeners a little about... What motivated you in the winter of 2017 to uh, put your foot in the water of Pennsylvania politics?
1: Yeah, it, it's weird thinking back to their pre COVID times. I actually had at that point de- decided to run. I think, I believe I opened my pack and started running in May of 2017. And at that time, I was really initially motivated after the presidential election in 2016. I felt like Both sides of the aisle ran candidates that were more focused on attacking each other than they were on actually trying to solve problems for everyday Americans. And my husband, who is now a registered Democrat, but at the time was not, he was a registered Republican, is a combat veteran, served two tours in Afghanistan, and we were both pretty upset about the presidential election that year. And I remember we, we were looking at each other like, what are we going to do? And it was sort of an idea we floated around. What, how are we going to try and fix this problem? And after a week, and so now we're, you know, we're in, into the end of November, December 2016, he's like, you're going to run for office. And I thought he was crazy. I had never really contemplated running for office. At the time, I was working at Penn. I was getting my grad degree at Penn and planning our wedding. But I looked up our district. I lived in the 165th Legislative District, saw that we had been represented by one party for the last 40 years. We'd only ever been represented by one female in the district, a Republican member in the 80s. And I realized that if we were really going to try and make change, then I had to do it. I had to reach out and show people whether I was going to win or not, that politics did belong to the people and that you could go from being a regular person to running a campaign overnight, that it, it really doesn't require some secret magic that I think people think you need to get into politics. So I hit the ground running. I ran for 19 months. I remember that the where we met, I was sort of startling everyone because here I was this candidate that was suddenly showing up at political events and my opponent didn't know what to do with me. I also I, I mean I kind of feel sorry for him now that I was running basically since the time he got into office. But I thought it was really important that if I was gonna win in a district that needed to be flipped, that I would need to put in that ground game and that I needed a two-summer strategy. I needed to knock doors in 2017 into the fall and then head into 2018 strong. So that's why I did it. I'll share the story just because he's now the president. But at the time I was working at Penn, like I mentioned. Then vice president Biden was just coming off of being the vice president. We were at an event in for Penn where he was going to be start. You know, working sort of with a university. And I still hadn't quite decided. My husband had been trying to convince me to run, and I still hadn't jumped in. And I listened to Joe Biden give a speech about when he ran for the first time and that he was in his he was twenty seven, which I think he actually was older than that. But he said twenty seven. and he was running because of civil rights, gender rights, and the Vietnam War. And I was standing there, Mike running to show you how far I've gone in this world. And I thought to myself, I'm twenty-seven and I can say civil rights, gender rights, and Iraq and Afghanistan. It's just a different part of the world. What has really changed? And if he can do it, I can do it. So I remember leaving that event. I was still at Penn, calling Brad and saying, That's it, I'm in, we're gonna do this. And and we really never turned back. And it's sort of crazy to think that we met in twenty seventeen and it's now twenty twenty one because I feel like it, that was just yesterday, you know, even though so much has changed my political life, my life has changed so much. But it's sort of it's one big blur, if I'm being honest with you.
0: Thank you so much. And that it is amazing how much has changed since 2017. Before we get into the demographics of the 165th Legislative District, mm-hmm. um, I think listeners would be very interested to, to hear about your life before you can, uh your upbringing in the region. And then also your, your husband, what branch of the service he was in and how you all met.
1: Sure. Sure. So I was originally born in Southwest Philly. Um, My dad was a firefighter in the city. My mom was a stay at home mom. And I did share this story a lot when I was running for office and I still do. When I was 13, we lost my dad to gun suicide and it really fundamentally changed our family. We moved to Delaware County where I live now, where I represent now and because of public schools because my mom needed to find a job that she could afford to raise a family after not working for 15 years. And with the support of my dad's pension as a union member in the Philadelphia Fire Department for 25 years. And she actually ended up getting a job in Upper Darby as a school bus driver, which was a union job. So it gave her a good wage and good benefits. And when I decided to run, I realized that My story was not unique. Many families depend on services like that, whether they need them during a time of need or whatever. And so something that really has shaped my politics, you know, I, I try and focus on mental health and public education and protecting unions and expanding unions, because I think fundamentally they are things that will help everyday American families. My husband and I actually met on Tinder We're approaching, I think we've been together six years now. We've been married for four. And we met sort of about three years after he got out of the service. He was in the 101st Airborne, which is in uh, the United States Army. And he served in Afghanistan in 2008 and then 2010 to 11. And he was injured during his first tour. He has two Purple Hearts. He also received an army commendation for valor. And I learned as when I met him, he wasn't really doing anything with the VA. And I started advocating for him at the VA through the disability pension process and through that grueling process Uh, My eyes were really opened to the challenges that our veterans face, even when they leave, when they come home, trying to assimilate back into society and trying to get benefits that they deserve, frankly. So that sort of become another pivotal part of my work in Harrisburg. I'm on the Veterans and Emergency Preparedness Committee, and I use Brad's story and experience To ground myself in those issues, especially mental health. My husband has PTSD, as you can imagine, serving two tours in combat in Afghanistan. And it also grounds me with some of my colleagues, both Democrat and Republican. And I had a bill get signed into law in my first term, was a bill to help veterans. I have another bill right now, the companion version in the Senate, looks like it's gonna pass into the House, and then we'll have another bill head to the governor's desk for veterans. And I'm really proud of that. It's not easy to get things done in Harrisburg, but it is important that we that we still work on that legislative process. So that's probably been one of my favorite parts. And Brad's really um, involved. He volunteers on my campaign. He goes out and canvases with me, gets me petition signatures, goes to events for me and holds my purse when I need him to. And I'm very lucky to have that support because this job is, it, it's not easy on families, but I'm—you um, know—we we try to enjoy as much of it together as we possibly can.
0: Let's talk about uh, uh, that first campaign in a moment. Uh, You alluded a bit to it, but give our listeners, uh, we have listeners across the Commonwealth who might be familiar with the General Assembly. Uh, We also have a lot of listeners in Washington, D.C. So there's 203 members. It's a full-time position, full-time legislature. It's uh, Republican controlled. But give a sense of your, your district. Really, the neighborhoods and the the community that you represent.
1: Sure. So I I am in Delaware County. My district includes Springfield Township, Morton Borough, Marple Township, and about half of Radnor Township. It, it's it's pretty gerrymandered. I'm going to be honest. We are a it's a mixed bag in my district because if you if you ever watch Parks and Recreation, I sort of compare it to that. We have we have Pawnee and we have Eagleton between. Some of my district and then we have, you know, Radnor Township, which skews a lot of the numbers. But there's a lot of union members. There is, a, the, I think, the primary occupation is education and healthcare. I've learned in Springfield, it used to be more white-collar families, and now it's slowly becoming more blue-collar families. And a lot of the students graduating Springfield High School are going on to become first-generation college students. That that has changed significantly. And, you know, I live in Springfield, which I think is—I love where I live. And I think it's great that I live in the largest municipality in my district. Springfield is the largest
0: um, and the Simpsons family lives there right. With yeah,
1: you. yeah. Um, there's a tour you can do of all Springfields in the United States. but it's been great. you know I I see my constituents at the grocery store. I I was just stalking the Darby Creek with Brook trout before we talked today and I ran into a handful of constituents out there. So I, I you know I really love representing the community that I live in. And if anyone is familiar with Harrisburg, it was Bill Adolph's district first. So I do have big shoes to fill if you're thinking about, you know, a presence of someone getting things done in Harrisburg.
0: Let's, let's talk about 2018. You're solidly on the ballot. You collected enough petitions. Uh, you're hitting your stride. You have national reporters and attention referring to it as uh, the year of the woman. Mm-hmm. There's talk, maybe premature. Fortunately, it turned out to be true of a blue wave mm-hmm. But give us a sense of those memories from the, the summer and the fall of 2018, because as you said, I mean, this was uh, historic to, to be running as a woman, to be running as someone of, of your age, uh, and then with a D after your name.
1: It was a whirlwind. I, you know, I was working full time while I ran for office, and that added a challenge. I was taking the train into, into the city, going to Penn every day. But I really ran a grassroots campaign. I tried not to pay attention to national politics and instead look inward and think of myself as a a candidate running for mayor to represent these four towns. I knocked on 7,000 doors myself and my campaign knocked on 50,000 doors um, between the primary, which was in May of that year until November. We sent thousands of postcards out. We made tons of phone calls, sent text messages. I raised a pretty significant amount of money, which I think that ended up really catching people's attention more than anything else. Sadly, that's sort of the way it goes in politics. But I learned a lot about my district knocking on those doors and having one-on-one conversations with my neighbors and with residents. And that's how I, I sort of – the issues I talked about were the things I heard about in when I was standing on someone's front porch or standing on someone's front stoop and hearing what they talked about on their kitchen table – I was running an uphill battle for sure. Um, most people didn't think I had a chance of winning. Even when I was standing in front of their doors, they was like, oh, you're running this Republican town like you're great, but you're never going to win. I heard that a lot. I also because I'm my primary door knocking partner was my husband. I was pretty surprised by the number of people who would look by me to him and say, why is she running and you're not? And that was something that Brad and I had to sort of over, you know, we it, it made us mad when people asked us those questions. But then we start to realize why, you know, it's normal to see a man running. It was not so normal to see a 28-year-old woman running. And I knew if I won, I would become the youngest female Democrat ever elected to the Pennsylvania House. The youngest woman is actually Martina White on the Republican side. She was 27. I was 28. So I really looked at it whether i was going to win or not to be honest i didn't anticipate winning that it was important to show people that i could do this and that if they wanted to they could one day too so on election night after you know knocking on all those thousands of doors and standing at train stations handing out literature and going to community events i think i attended every possible community event i could in those uh, months I was actually reading my defeat speech. I remember back in 2018, we didn't have vote by mail. So we were getting results immediately. We we would know who was going to win by 10, that night. So I thanked my team. I sort of retreated into we had a hotel room. I sort of retreated into another room to go over the defeat speech because I just anticipated based on the polling and based on the way, you know, people were dismissing me, that, that that's what was going to happen. And it was around 945, 10 o'clock, my campaign manager came running in, switch speeches, you won, you won. And the other side wouldn't concede, it took a week for them to concede. But I won on the machines by 154 votes. And then once they counted absentees, I won by 530 votes. So it was it was a slim margin for sure. Not the slimmest that we've ever seen, but it was a slim margin. And I I shocked everyone, including myself. But it was a really exciting outcome, obviously. And then I had this new challenge to handle, which was I had to quit my job and I had to get ready to start a district office. One of the funniest moments that I remember after winning was I had to go back. So the election day was on Tuesday. I took off work Wednesday. I had to go back to work on Thursday. And I put my two weeks in and everything at University of Penn. But I was working an event that night. And I remember my boss being like, do you still want to work the event? I was like, yeah, it's my job until November 27th. So at the event, um, Cindy McCain and Ted Kennedy's widow were there to speak. And we were opening and dedicating a new building for political science. And the attorney general, Josh Shapiro, was there in attendance. And I was working sort of registration and off to the side. And I see him and he's like, Representative-elect, it's so great to see you. and Because he had helped me during my campaign. And he tries bringing me into the crowd to introduce me to people. And I had to be like, Attorney General, I'm here working. I'm not a state rep yet. So good to see you. But I've got to go back over there. And I went back over and my, my boss was laughing. She's like, I thought we lost you. But it was something. Josh and I still joke about it to this day when I see him about the That sort of double hat I had to wear for the rest of November. But it was a rewarding campaign, and I learned a lot about myself, about my community, and having those face-to-face conversations helped me feel more prepared when it came to voting in my district and making sure that I was actually representing my district in my votes and not my own views, which is hard to separate sometimes, but I think it's an important thing that I need to remember when I represent a district that is still a majority Republican district.
0: I think for our listeners to to remember and to reflect on is that the Obama-Biden ticket won Delaware County, the Clinton-Kane ticket won Delaware mm-hmm. County. It's, it's very much part of the suburban USA demographic, but hearing you loud and clear and Hearing previous guests, there's so much diversity in the county and no vote can be taken for granted. You know, you're, you're, you're part of a small club that comes to mind with, with Congressman Lamb and Vice President Gore, of people who won by, uh, well, Vice President Gore unfortunately lost, but by only 500 some, uh, some votes, 530. Yeah. That's yeah. wow. Let's unpackage a little bit about 2018. You referenced your campaign manager and your team. I mean, how did that, how did that come together? Were these personal friends? Were these uh, folks at the HDCC uh, suggested?
1: So fun fact, the Democratic Party, they don't like to admit this today, but they were recruiting against me for the first nine months. They did not believe that I was going to be viable. They didn't think I had enough experience or that I had enough of my own personal money to invest in the campaign because I made it pretty clear from the beginning I didn't and I was going to have to raise it.
0: How 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 big was the budget by the way? We
1: spent half a million dollars, probably a little bit over half a
0: million in twenty eighteen
1: and almost again in twenty twenty, sadly. The T V the media Mm. market's so expensive here because we we have to share with Philly. So
0: And you spent you spent I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead with with, with the budget, but we, we should unpackage that, but I'm sorry. So let's go back. So it's, it's, it's it's 2017. You're building out the yeah. team. Uh, so
1: my first team member was actually a retired late sixties, early 70 year old woman. I was working very closely with Indivisible and Turn PA Blue. I know you, you had Jamie Parapato on previously. They had gotten on board with me right away. And Indivisible, if anyone doesn't know, was a, it's a group of passionate people who were not necessarily committee people, but who got involved after the Obama, the former Obama's team put together an indivisible document like this is how you can effectively lobby your legislators and get involved in the electoral process. So in a neighboring district in Mary Jo Daly's district, which is right over the Delaware County border in Montgomery County, there was an indivisible group there who adopted me. And the leader of that group quickly got very involved with helping me. There's also indivisible groups in my own district that were helping me as well. And so she was my finance director, which she was amazing because she had a lot of networks um, that she could tap into for us raising money. And she introduced me to a lot of people. It was her and I for the fr- and and Brad as my lead volunteer, my husband, for most of 2017. And by the end of 2017, I had raised more money than any other Democratic challenger candidate in the state. So I finally got them to stop recruiting against me and they started paying attention. So we hit 2018 and... I was starting to look for campaign managers. And it was someone now that works for the HDCC. at the time he didn't, a friend of mine introduced me to a college student that was about to graduate from Swarthmore College. He was in his last semester. So he and I had dinner at the Swarthmore Inn in February. We really hit it off. And his name is Ben, and he now works for Mary Gay Scanlon. But he uh, had worked on campaigns since he was 16. He's from Nebraska. He had been in Delco for a long time Since he's been in college, working for other Delco candidates. So, we sort of had an idea of the district and the community. So, I hired him. We then found our next campaign staffer from Swarthmore as well. It was a junior. We met her right at the end of their semester and she came on board. And that was our team. You know, we did get some, we had a lot of volunteers from my district, from outside of the district friends of mine, family members, like it was a real team effort. And my committees were very supportive. Springfield, Marple, Newtown, um, Morton and Radnor Democratic committees. They were always volunteering with me. But that was our core team. You know, we had had three members, three staff members and myself. And Brad was our biggest volunteer and and champion. We worked really, really hard. But it was kind of cool because we were all New in our role, right? Nancy had never been a finance director before. Ben had never managed his own campaign before, and Abby had never really worked in that big of a comms role for a campaign before. And And I had never been a candidate, so we like to say like we were brand new. We were brand new to politics, and we were figuring it out together. Ben is very smart, and we were really able to use data and analysis in analyzing. Elections for the years leading up, both in midterms, in presidential, in off year, an odd year, I like to say, to see where we needed to focus. We had a big map of my district in the campaign office, which we did open one in June, and we had it color coded. We had precincts color coded. You know, they were yellow, they were pink, or they were blue, and that all meant something. Some we knew we would win, some we knew I would need to do a lot of door knocking, and some we knew I had no chance.
0: Remind our listeners. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Jen. the The turnout in 2018 uh, was it higher than 2014? Yes, it was.
1: We had a higher turnout, not quite as high as we just saw in 2020, but we did. We we increased turnout incre- in a big way. The way I like to tell people is um, for absentee ballots, there most that had ever been submitted in our district for dems were about 214 my year we had around 900 absentee ballots and we ran a very rigorous absentee ballot program to we were mailing college student stamps to get their their ballots back to us but we knew that we did something right on election night i remember i was home getting changed before i went back to the to where we were watching the results come in and ben called me he's, he's like you just want a yellow precinct I shouldn't have won yellow precincts. So I remember I was yelling to Brad like, we just want a yellow one. And I was running around trying to get out of the house to get back and see what was happening. But we we stayed. We built a plan. We had votes to win number and we stayed focused on our plan. And Ben and Abby, I think they knew how much votes I won by almost to the to the T, and they, they were very spot on in the turnout that they predicted as well. So I, I was very fortunate to have such intelligent people that were really using math to drive our campaigning.
0: You've been super, super generous with your time. And before I let you go, with an eye to 2022, which I'm sure you don't want to think about, uh, the dust is still settling from the amazing victory you had in 2020. Uh, look, I mean, Democrats have a tall task to keep the governor's mansion and to flip Senator Toomey's Mm -hmm. seat. So what would you tell staffers and candidates, uh, and I realize there are candidates yet to get into these races, as they think of the communities that you represent and getting maximum turnout and building that enthusiasm? Well, you know,
1: 2022 is not that far away. A negative campaign mailer about me hit my mailbox yesterday. Um, And we're in March of 2021. So I would say start as early as you can. I know that there is a lot up in the air with new maps because it's a redistricting year and the census data is delayed. So we're we're not really sure what's going to happen. But you need to get out there in your community and make sure that people know you and that you are A presence. And the best way to do that in an odd year election, which we're in, right, we have a lot of important municipal races and county races, start volunteering for campaigns in your county and in your municipality, support candidates that are running, even if you're not prepared to announce yourself yet. I did that a lot. I knocked on doors in 2017 and said to folks like, I'll be back next year. Keep your eye out for me in 2018. So it's never too early to get started. It's also never too early to start raising money. It's a bear. It's not the best part of a campaign, but it is really necessary. And so I tell folks, try and maximize this year for yourself in planning and organizing and fundraising and preparing as much as you can. So that way, when we do get into 2022, you're ready to go.
0: Sage advice from someone who's been deep in the trenches uh, more than once. Uh, And hopefully 2022, you won't be as deep in the trenches. So, Jen, thank you so much for coming thank by my kitchen Table. Thank you for having me. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.